Hey, Richard. How are you? How Good are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. The Union of the Unwanted. Hey, we're back live. Ricky, take it away. What's up? Another Union of Unwanted. Shows are getting a lot of attention. I'm really enjoying these. And who knows who, who else is going to show up. But today we got Brett Bernard from the School Sucks Project, old friend of mine who's joining us. We also have Richard Gage and Dylan Avery, who I actually, I've been a fan of Dave Dylan's forever and I've never actually talked to him. So this is going to be fun. But, uh, and then we have... Oh, hey, you know, what's up? What's up? And then we have Jason Burmis with us. Of course, we have Charlie, Midnight Mike. People are popping in right now. Grimerica's with us again, which is awesome. So we have, we, uh, we're live, guys. Just to uh, give you the heads up <laughs> before, you know, a dick joke or anything like that. But um, so thanks, guys, for being with me. Another episode. People are really enjoying these. Every, you know, every other week, 7 o'clock, Monday nights, uh, 7 o'clock Eastern time, we're doing these. So keep up with them. And uh, and today we had a, uh, a you know kind of our, our guest of honor because you guys have a new project you want to talk about and uh, and we'll, we can start off talking about that maybe introduce you you know yourselves then let us give us a little rundown on the projects and then we can go from there just kind of go wherever the conversation takes us. Cool. Um, I'm Richard Gage, uh, AIA, a founder of Architects and Engineers for 911 Truth. And we have 3,000 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. And uh, we've been uh, very busy. And I've brought here today uh, one of our uh, busy bees, uh, the uh, director of our new film, Seven, which is about building seven back here. And uh, that's Dylan Avery, uh, who, of course, creator of Loose Change 9-11. Uh, Dylan is amazing, and this film is going to be amazing. And so he's going to talk about that. Um, should, uh, sh I should mention a couple other things first before we dive deep into Dylan. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we've got time to do it. Yeah, um, we're not that professional here, so don't. <laughs> well, okay, I'll tone it down. A lot of people don't know who the hell I am. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate because, uh, uh, you know, we've been screaming about the science behind the destruction of these towers for 14 years. And uh, a lot of people don't know there was a third tower that even came down on 9-11. So let's, like, start with that. It's building seven the 47 story skyscraper that collapses suddenly, uniformly, symmetrically into its own footprint in under seven seconds. And that occurs at free fall, uh, as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. And so this happens um, after witnesses hear explosions. And it, of course, it looks like the old hotels in Las Vegas. So this is why we haven't seen it on mainstream media at all. So the evidence shows uh, evidence of explosives and incendiaries in the building. We can get into that later. Uh, the Twin Towers shows evidence of explosives and incendiaries. 
And um, what we're doing, and as we do every uh, uh, September 11th uh, for the last 14 years, is have a conference where we invite individuals like Dylan. Uh, and uh, in this case, uh, David Ray Griffin, Stephen Jones, and Niels Harrett, uh, three pioneers in the 9-11 Truth Movement are all coming to our conference, which is online this year. Uh, I wonder why, you know, they, they get the, the mask over the face and uh, this uh, absolutely manufactured event that we've all had to live with is shut down and probably destroyed our economy. Um, and uh, we'll probably be... Uh, requiring all of us to be uh, vaccinated against our will too. So uh, uh, we're preparing for that, but that's outside the scope of what we do at AE911 Truth. I'm glad you guys are talking more about it. Um, the, uh, the, the, the conference will also uh, bring together the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, who has several legal projects on the 9-11 Truth front. It'll, it will be talking in depth with uh, Ted Walter and Mick Harrison about our request for correction. Tony Zambodi will be there too uh, against NIST. And we'll be uh, going into detail. All this is on our website, by the way. You can look at it right now, uh, ae911truth.org. And then uh, we have um, some great guests uh, on Big Picture Sunday, uh, James Corbett. Uh, John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute, constitutional attorney, talking about the advancing police state. James will be covering censorship. Uh, the, the, the library of Alexandria is on fire, he says. And then uh, we have um, our third speaker that night, Daniela Ganser, an expert on false flags and, and uh, leading up to and since 9-11. So uh, just a, a huge... Uh, uh, Leroy Halsey will be there along with Dylan. Uh, Dylan's going to show some uh, uh, clips from the brand new movie uh, that he's making. And uh, we also have, I got to get a list in front of me because uh, these, these speakers are in, incredible. Um, we have uh, Roland Angle who will be giving the details about the study that's been done by the University of Alaska proving that this Building 7 could not have come down by fire. Uh, could not have uh, absolutely proved it. Uh, completely uh, pulls the rug out from underneath the NIST report. I'll be talking about some of the evidence for the Twin Towers. Um, so, uh, but our star really is Matt Campbell, who lost his brother Jeff in the North Tower. We will be con continuing our effort to raise the needed funds for his legal expenses for uh, getting our evidence into the UK, outside the United States for the first time. We're going international uh, to, to bring, uh, to get a new inquest into his brother's death. Uh, we're, we're proving that these, these towers were brought down, not by plane impacts and, and uh, uh, those fires, but um, uh, by explosive controlled demolition. So that's all coming up. And uh, I'm, uh, overwhelmed uh, uh, with excitement about uh, this, our first online conference. We've got a great platform we're using. Um, it's, it's actually a little better than Zoom. <laughs> so 
uh, I got a, we're still learning how to use it. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much uh, the summary there. How long do you think you guys have before you run the risk of slipping into like JFK land where it's kind of everyone sort of starts to come on board, but it's kind of too late. Well, um, I think we have a limited perspective uh, and I've had one for a long time. Uh, it's taken me 14 years to begin to shift my perspective and realize that this is not going to happen in six months. Like I thought it was when I woke up to building seven and the incendiary evidence, you know, 14 years ago in 2006, thanks to David Ray Griffin. Um, it's a long haul. Um, JFK is not over either, by the way. Uh, it's a longer haul. Um, we're going to get there, though. And if we, if we, if we don't keep trying, um, uh, we will never get there. Uh, but I think this, this film that Dylan's making is an exceptional uh, step forward uh, to waking up the engineering community, forcing the media to, to grapple with it. Uh, and uh, it'll go uh, nationwide um, on, on streaming platforms that uh, Dylan can tell us more about that. Yeah, Dylan, you want to jump in? I also want to get into, sure. eventually also get into uh, why this is still important, because I think that's the thing, like we, I think coronavirus, the whole COVID-19 thing has taken so much of our attention and energy that these type of topics are still so important. I, I go back and I'll do a show on like JFK or OKC or any, because these, I mean, there, there's like milestones in like, in our I guess our lives, right? As long as we've been alive, like there's these, there's certain events that change things and things are never the same after like OKC, after 9-11 and now after the coronavirus uh, lockdown. So I think it's really important to constantly remind people like, okay, this has happened before. Like people have justified actions based on this event and then they never, you know, they, they, they're like, oh, just give us a little bit of extra power because, you know, it's emergency or whatever. And then they, they never give that back. You know, I think I, I don't know whose podcast I was listening to, uh, probably somebody who's on this call uh, where they said, like, hey, we still got to take off our shoes when we go on a plane. Like, and that was a long time ago, you know, and it's like, you know, they never it's not like things ever go back to the way they were. So that's why it's important that even though there's current events going on all the time, it's important to revisit history to, to understand like, oh, this similar things have happened. I guess that was your cue, Dylan. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. That's cool. He's uh, wondering it's your what show. To do we can talk as long as you want. <laughs> no, but, no but that, I mean, yeah. I, I think that the important thing to keep in mind uh, is that we are still very much living in the post 9-11 world. Um, and you have high schoolers and now college students that are learning about 9-11 uh, as an event, not only that obviously happened in the past, but an event that happened before they were born. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, a lot of these, you know, high schoolers, college kids, kindergartners, anyone who's in school right now and learning about 9-11 as a historical event, I think that if they don't, they need to recognize that they were born into uh, the post 9-11 world and that the the dividing line in history that people like myself and others on the Zoom call can remember, that kind of dividing line that has been referred to many times as the, the pre-9-11 and the post-9-11 world, um, I think it's important to not lose touch of the pre-9-11 world and to lose touch with all of the things that we lost as a result of 9-11. And so if anyone is to ask you why does 9-11 still matter, 
uh, 20 years after the fact? And the answer to that is simply, well, we are still dealing with 9-11 and we are still living with 9-11 on a daily basis, whether you recognize that or whether it's being explicitly called that. Um, so I, I think that's why 9-11 and, you know, discussing Building 7 specifically is important because it is a linchpin to a lot of the things that have been going on since 9-11. Uh, you know, there's there's many things that have transpired that I don't think would have transpired in the pre-9-11 world. Um, and as mentioned, you know, we are still very much living with the the flight restrictions, the travel restrictions, uh, constitutional restrictions. There's a lot of things that were born in the aftermath of 9-11 that we are very much still living with and I fear we'll be living with for the rest of our lives if we don't do something about this. So, And if I can just jump in just to kind of reiterate what he just said there. Our entire foreign and domestic policy was based on that post 9-11 world where they brought in Deutschland, a.k.a. Homeland Security, right? That's when our overtake of Eurasia and different parts of the Middle East became normalized and not even discussed at this point. You know, I was talking to somebody today and you got to remember in 2008 during 2007's debates, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden all ran on getting us out of Iraq and shutting down Guantanamo Bay. There is no talk of that in 2020. Guantanamo Bay, Abu Ghraib, any black site you can think of, there's no talk that those even exist anymore. And if they are talked about, they're talked about in a positive manner. We are still in Afghanistan, Iraq. Look what we did in Libya. Syria is another example and one of the most egregious examples as we know about Operation Timber Sycamore, the CIA operation that brings us in and we have all the evidence in the world from WikiLeaks and the OPCW that a, that attack in Duma never occurred. So you can ride this all the way up and through the coronavirus on how important 9-11 still is. That's how I feel about it, Disco. I, I got a quick question or a statement from the chat that I'd like to read you guys, and, and, and perhaps someone could address it. Uh, and this is uh, what they're saying. The government is run by the same people that these guys go to for legal remedy. Somebody, uh, somebody in our government took down, these took down those buildings. Therefore, there will never be a remedy. What do you say to that? Well, whether or not that's the case, I think it's more like, that Patriot Act was sort of written and sitting on the shelf before it happened anyway. So um, I think I just worry that no matter what we do with 9-11, I don't think we're going to undo any of that. Like, I think until, all that stuff is here to stay re regardless, unfortunately. Not until we create enough awareness in, in the public um, by alternative media like this example that we're doing right now. Um, we, we have to create uh, an out, a public outswell of, of rage uh, that will replace people in Congress uh, eventually. Um, it, there's, there, there's a bit of a, a revolution brewing, if you haven't noticed, against the, um, the COVID-19 uh, lockdown and um, false science that's been put out. Um, I think that helps us quite a bit. Uh, I, and I think... Uh, there'll be some a lot more and more overlap between uh, the the COVID nineteen truthers and and the nine eleven truthers and, and all the other truth uh, telling people and the issues that they're talking about. Um, I, I think it's I think it's opening up. So uh, 
I mean, I, I, there's plenty of reason to be skeptical. It's been 14 years for me, 19 years for many of you guys. Um, where this is a long wall, a long war, you know, it's a long one. I'm not sure. If it's, uh, I'm I not want sure to jump it. I'm, oh. I'm sorry, real quick, Sam. I'm not sure if it's really about a legal remedy for a lot of people. There are some people that have lawsuits, um, but that need you need to get permission to sue certain people. Uh, I think we just want insurmountable evidence to change people's opinion at this point. So when they make decisions at the in the voting booth, that they make a, a more much more informed decision about who they might be putting in power. I think that's a, a long haul, man. Like, let, let's be honest. Right now in 2020, you want insurmountable evidence. I mean, they're, they're running a guy on the Democratic Party that can't speak. And I'm not talking about I watched an interview with him today where he couldn't speak. I watched an interview with him. Uh, with Anderson Cooper, where he couldn't speak. I mean, the bar has been raised to the point it doesn't matter how much evidence that you present to people. Um, I think it's it's going to come down to how far will you push them. You know, for those that don't know, uh, my town is now the new outbreak in America for COVID-19. We have now, if you didn't see it, Dylan, we now have 304 cases that are confirmed, all of which was by design because there's zero hospitalizations here. But they want lockdown too. This is about control. You know, you talked I about. Can't I can't. What's that? Go ahead. I was just gonna say I can't believe that out of all the SUNY schools, of course, Oniana is the one that. Well, gets they didn't shut test down. anybody. <laughs> they they didn't test anybody. So they didn't test. Um, you know, four thousand plus kids that came back, three thousand on campus on purpose, knowing that they're coming from New York City and Long Island. They know these tests don't work anyway. Then within a forty-eight hour period, they test three thousand people. And the results yesterday were 105, and now there's 304. And now I've got a COVID fucking SWAT team. They're calling it a fucking SWAT team <laughs> coming to my town with 70 contact tracers. Well, stay tuned because I'm well, telling you. You got to get out of there, dude. That's the truth of the matter. And but, it's here's what's going on real quick. Uh, well, there's evidence right now that we've been lied to. Everybody on the show has been saying it's been a lie. I, I'm just kind of getting to the point where I can't save people who don't want to be saved. You know, if you want to take this vaccine that is for a virus that kills 0.0025% of the population, there's nothing I can do for you. The only thing I can fight back and try to wake people up to is that it shouldn't be mandatory. It shouldn't. You want to take it? Enjoy it. I think we should make it so anybody who thinks we should have to wear masks now, when it all comes out that's even more bullshit, they should have to wear masks to the end of days till they take their last <laughs> breath. For the rest of their life, they're just wearing this scarlet letter, okay? And get back to Richard. Uh, Richard, you were on my show, Tim Fall Hat, uh, last year. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, would love to have you back. Uh, I get really upset with the uh, with with a part of the uh, conspiracy community where I get I keep getting told that Barack Obama is the worst president in the history of time, and I just think Woodrow Wilson and George Bush Senior are like hold my beer, okay? What happened on nine eleven to me is worse than Obamagate, and Obamagate's very bad. But we allowed uh, this group of people to basically commit genocide. Uh, and just completely brainwash everybody. 9-11 is the worst thing that we've our government has done to our, our people. Everything from that 
has been absolutely 1984 draconian bullshit. Okay, sorry to swear on the show, but it's like it is, man. And we really need to start. Like, I agree with Richard. I think people are waking up. I really do, man. I think it's almost impossible now to a lot for somebody to sit bunkered in their corner and believe the BS that CNN is doing. I don't even know how CNN reaches anybody because no one listens to CNN. And it's really got to be down to these blue checkmark idiots on Twitter who just take these things and just tweet it out to all their, their all followers. And that's how it's got to be. But I, I agree. I, I think people are waking up and I think shows like this and everybody on here, this is how we make the change. And I'm telling you, man, Compared to like four years ago, people way, way, way more people are 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 waking, and that's what. And I'll end it here, but that's what the Save Our Children's March was about. Did, did we save any one kid? I don't know. A bunch of kids got, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of arrests happened. But what you do is you raise awareness, okay? And then people find out they're not the only ones who think this, and they can start vibing with their tribe. That's what I think is the importance of what Richard's doing, what this show's doing, what all these podcasts are doing. Are we going to do it overnight? No. Are we going to stop some SUNY school from be getting a bunch of TSA agents everywhere all the time? If people want to live like that, let them live like that. But we have to have our, we got to set our own boundaries and push back with information. And that's my opinion. I want to remind everybody that Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth is a 501c3 nonprofit and your, donos your donations to their organization are tax deductible. Now, think of the sweet irony in that, that you're getting a tax break from your government to finance Richard's operation into investigating the government. It's the greatest thing you can do. If you have more money than time, give money to their organization. If you have more time than money, then share this work because it's super important. Richard's been doing this for a long, long time. He's very important to this to this movement. And, um, and this doesn't happen for free. You know, a lot of people donate their time, but there are still court costs and, you know, things like that, that have to be paid for. So if you're in a position to give, this is a pretty good organization uh, that could use your money. And this is the, uh, the, the fundraising campaign that helps uh, Jeff Campbell uh, achieve justice. His, his brother, Matt is still alive. And so uh, these, these uh, barristers is what they call them in, in the UK, they are, this guy, Nick Stanage at uh, Dowdy Street Chambers, they call it, he is one of the top people that does things like this, challenges the government, uh, takes up uh, 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 causes like this, um, but it's 500 bucks an hour and it really adds up. So uh, we feel this, this, this uh, opportunity is tailor-made to finally uh, get our evidence into court. We've got other, you know, efforts like the grand jury investigation in the U.S. Uh, going on and the FBI lawsuit and some others. But uh, this one, the, the threshold is really low. All we have to prove is that this evidence that we're presenting uh, might uh, cause, uh, uh, might uh, cause, might, um, uh, makes a reasonable case uh, to to uh, get a new inquest. Uh, so in other words, we don't have to, we don't really have to prove anything. We just have to say it's it's good enough, to, you know, to, to, to bring about a new inquest, which will then uh, work its way throughout the court system in, uh, in, in the UK and then through the media there. 
it'll attract a lot of attention, uh, prompting other family members uh, who have lost uh, their loved ones uh, in the UK, because uh, there's a lot of English people uh, in and Scottish people in the uh, World Trade Center towers that were lost there. So uh, anyway, that's what we're raising funds for. And you can do it at ae911truth.org. Monica, uh, Brett, you guys want to jump in? I'll jump okay. in just to say, uh, back up what's already been said by Richard, and I think Sam said a version of it as well. This really is an, a golden age of opportunity for this with uh, what's happening around COVID-19. Because for a lot of people, as far as like, you know, starting to welcome alternative ways of looking at things, the journey begins right now for those people. So I'll say it, it it's a little surreal to be on this call with like Dylan and Jason. Uh, Loose Change was a starting point for me as far as looking into 9-11. Uh, what are we talking? 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, that led me to Richard Grove's work. And, you know, that friendship and working relationship took me all the way to Red Pill, where I saw Richard speak uh, last year, I think it was. And obviously, the, the whole architects and engineers movement has been an asset to trying to uncover the truth of what's happening there. But, you know, if I take myself back to, I don't know, whatever, I was 25-year-old me watching Loose Change for the first time, how many investigations did that begin? Was that a catalyst for even four years? after 9-11, where we had kind of reached, a, dare I say, a new normal or a kind of equilibrium, right? We're at war in Iraq. That's how it's going to be. We're in war in Afghanistan. That's how it's going to go on forever. We take our shoes and our belt off at the airport. Like that was, we had just adjusted at that point. But I was so motivated by what I saw in that film. Now it's that situation on steroids. Never, Never has the state been so intrusive. They're doing our advertising for us at this point as far as trying to uncover the truth because it's like my show is called School Sucks. The school system does almost all of my marketing for me, right? Just by existing, just by forcing people into that situation. And, and now what we're seeing with the COVID response uh, uh, and, and the, the, you know, the social unrest fallout from that, like this is in people's neighborhoods. It's in their face in a way this has never been before. And if they start investigating that, there's a really good opportunity because, yeah, I mean, the, the question at the beginning is like, who still cares about 9-11, right? It's a fair question. I mean, even for those of us who've sunk a lot of time and energy or, or we've known people who've dedicated, you know, uh, a good portion of their lives work to 9-11 to truth. It is 20 years later, right? But like this situation that we're in has the potential to revive everything that has, uh, that, 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 you know, that, that exists in an archive on the internet. You can still find, I mean, it's getting harder and harder, but you can still find all of these things. You can still watch that film. So people, um, like I said, golden age of opportunity around what I do, because school sucks worse than ever. So we have a door that's wide open. Um, and, and, you know, everybody else does here too with the work that they do. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a frustrating question because I don't like the way that, uh, you know, the whole truth movement just seemed to, as far as like, whatever glimpse the public ever had of it just kind of disappeared, you know, or faded into the background. But I, I think there's a real opportunity to to revive it at this point. So I appreciate the fact that architects and engineers are still doing this and that Dylan is still active with this new project. And uh, it's great to be here. When can we expect a full release on 7, Dylan? 
Come on, spill the beans. Let's go. Well, we're about to hand it off to 1091 Media, and I know they need time to prep it for digital markets and stuff like that. Um, but we got uh, Richard. Should I should I say who we got as narrator? I mean, sure. Or should I should I sure or should I wait? Well, I don't know. Sure. You, spill the beans, Dylan. Yeah. Sure. Don't do it. Don't do uh, it. Richard. Richard says don't do it. So he I don't know. Sure. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said sure. Come on, let's let's see it. We, let's hear it. Jason's really pushing this. We have the legend, Ed Asner, narrating. Wow, it. awesome, yeah. very nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Yep. So we're. I'm just kind of like incorporating his voice over. There was a final round of notes from AE, and um, I mean, 1091's got the trailer. They've got the artwork. I know that they're probably already moving things forward on their end. Um, so once we get a final release date from them, I imagine we'll be announcing that like during the anniversary conference, if I had to guess. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because obviously you've had the, the PBS run of the smaller version of it. What was it about a seven minute run of that? Five minutes. Minute? Five minutes. Five minutes. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And Richard, I, I still need to get you on the show. I, I've been in contact. You let me know when you want to come on this week and we'll talk about it more too. Because listen, building seven, you talked about evidence. How much more evidence do you need? We're talking <laughs> about a 47 story skyscraper falling into its own video or imprint on video where you can see clear squib lines you have two different eyewitnesses on camera that day refuting the official version both michael hess and barry jennings and then you have the interview that dylan and i conducted with barry jennings himself that once again crushes yeah. the official version i mean you talk about evidence guys i, I roll with it like this no one even talked about those dark overlord documents that now dropped over two and a half years ago that showed that at least four of these hijackers, two by name, Khalid Almadar and Sawaf Al-Hamzi, were on Flight 11 running a dry drill of hijacking the plane, were reported by James Woods, the pilot, okay, and the stewardess, and that was confirmed by several FBI agents during the testimony, which Woods named, and Seymour Hirsch. There wasn't a mainstream story that touched that. Nobody, just my lonesome. So I, the evidence thing, there was a lot of stuff in the JFK drops that Trump gave us twice. You know, it didn't reveal all. He still held stuff back. And, and I think that is relevant because what we are talking about is this network that goes beyond the government that we're taught about in school and told exists. And that network very much does exist and does manipulate, like, manipulate world events. And it's it's not just one agency, you know, it's not just one government. Uh, you look at 9-11 and there are so many aspects. That is a global intel operation. So I, I think it's as important as ever. I can't wait for the film and uh, I'm excited about it, guys. Hmm. Monica, you want to jump in and then we'll go back to uh, Dylan? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of pull on what Brett was saying in that I didn't understand the truth about 9-11 until... I guess it was 2013 when the Boston Marathon bombing happened because I just didn't think they would do it. I just couldn't get my mind around the fact that they would do it. But once I realized that it, that that was the true nature of the state right now, then everything else, the scales fell from my eyes and I could see what was happening, false flags and that kind of thing just down the line. And 
So I feel like once you see one, you can see them all. But ever since, I guess it was the Parkland shooting on Valentine's Day in 2018, I said it was the day the internet closed. You just couldn't really find the kind of evidence that you could find before that would prove to people how things, how these big events really went down. So I feel like because that evidence is really out there for 9-11, you can still use that as the way to take the scales from people's eyes and they can apply that across the board because the these things are getting more ridiculous and sloppier as we go. Like the COVID thing, I mean, you could, it's just on the face of it, it, it doesn't make sense. The science isn't there and people know that they can tell from their own experience. So I just feel like it's an opportunity to use that to leverage kind of people being woke to use a term that's that sadly isn't what it used to be. But I do feel like it's a good opportunity. And the anniversary, of course, is perfect. It almost seems like a fractal. COVID almost seems like a fractal of 9-11. It's the, like the left-wing version it of it. To the, it's like taking it from the from the like national stage to the global stage. Well, I would agree with you because when you're looking at this thing, first of all, the the whole thing is, though, guys, we're looking at COVID like it's one thing, and I don't know that it is, right? If we look at what initially happened in China and China's response, the CCP saying they got hit with a bioweapon, it's a lot different than what happened in the United States. And then what happened in Iran and rapidly there was even more different than what happened in the United States and even parts of Europe. The thing with, with the COVID thing that, that bothers me the most at this point is we have plenty of evidence that Sweden, that did not lock down, okay, the headline on this one, guys, is no lockdown, no masks, no hysteria, no problem. They have a death rate of, I believe it is 57 out of 100,000. Here it is, 57 out of 100,000. Well, Belgium locked down pretty hardcore, 87 per 100,000. Spain locked down pretty hardcore, 62 per 100,000. Britain locked down pretty hardcore, 62 per 100,000. Italy, 58 all of which had huge restrictions. Sweden had none. Now there are people saying they actually got herd immunity. We can't talk about that. That can't be in reality, even if the science points to it. That's disturbing. And then on top of that, you look what's going on throughout the country in New York. They say mass gatherings are going to cause this, really, because there's been protests slash riots in Portland the last three or four months. Where are the outbreaks? There was a chain smokers concert a month ago with over 2,000 people on it. There's video everywhere. Where were the outbreaks in New York? They're non-existent. I went to a sporting event with 3,500 people in Iowa. No outbreaks there. Oh, yeah, we just had Sturgis two weeks ago. That was the big one. Oh, big worry. Quarter million people went across the country, then dispersed. It's two weeks later. Where are the hospitalizations? Where are the outbreaks? This is a very real thing, but it is very treatable. They don't want to talk about those treatments. They don't dare want to talk about any kind of herd immunity or solutions beyond what? A lockdown till 2022, sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates, and then a vaccine that he says on camera, we don't know if it will work, we don't know whether it will work to stop transmission, and we don't know whether it will work to stop to lower the mortality rate, which by whose standards, the WHO, is 0.6%. We're living in a fucking cartoon, guys, and unless... We figure out how to get in the streets and push back. And I'm telling you, it's, it's weird. I'm about to have three testing stations here and 70 contact tracers. Yeah, but Guys, you, there's not 70 businesses in my fucking town. Yeah, They're going to be in everyone testing every single person getting into their lives. And I'm going to film it. I mean, I might get arrested this week because no one's testing me. I'd rather just go to jail and then get released because we got fucking catch and release here in New York now. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to charge me and let me out? 
I, I mean, bizarro world. I, we live in bizarro world. I wish I had more solutions and less ranting, but I'm just putting it down. All those facts are really available. And like I just said, we're shutting down a town now and possibly the rest of New York State in the next couple of weeks because 304 kids popped hot and not one is hospitalized. Forget about going to die. This is Looney Tunes. Do you think it was like this during 9-11? Like, was anyone here switched on during 9-11? Like, I know Dave McGowan was like on September 12th writing blogs about how it was bullshit and this was going to happen and that was going to happen. And he pretty well nailed everything. Alex Jones. I mean, I have to give Alex Jones credit. I mean, he he's like, I mean, after every single big event, he was been one of the first ones are like, this is, you know, government cover up. This is, you know, and he looked crazy. Right. Just like a lot. Because <laughs> I feel like we would have been on 9-11, you know, like this group, if it happened yesterday, we would have been like, what the fuck? I, Some I, I, pe- real quick, I, I yeah. 9-11 was for conservatives. COVID is for like Democrats. It, it all pushes people the same way, but just different ideologies. That's the way I'm looking at it. And then the businesses come in and, and sell what they got to sell. And the conservatives, they have their, their scanners they sell at the airports. And then the, the more Democratic have, like, pharmaceuticals. But everyone's That's making money point. off of it. But, Mike, you know what I don't get? I, even if you're a conservative, you're a li- whatever you identify as, I don't know how, you know, this didn't – 9-11 did affect the economy. We were in an amazing economy pre-9-11. I remember I was paying 98 cents for gas. Are you, you know, sure? Because I thought the money. Pentagon lost trillions of dollars the day before. <laughs> I, I, but they didn't no, lose no. it. They spent it on stuff they can't tell you about. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it felt good. And we were already in a weird economic situation here. And now you have the middle class and the upper middle class being completely eviscerated. doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. No, it doesn't. Where, where are the small business owners that are standing up? And then again, in this bizarro world you know, Zoom race between Trump and Biden, you have a side that's running on mandatory masks. Well, he wouldn't take office till January. So have we just given up from August till January? That's if he gets in, in a mail-in voting system and they're pushing mandatory vaccines. I mean, whether you're, again, a Democrat or a Republican, if you're paying attention, how many people want to wear masks for the next three months? Yeah, but that, but dude, that is definitely a Democrat thing. Yeah. You can't sit there it's, and be like, it's a Democrat, Republican thing. I, it, like, what, what, like, I, what I meant was like, who yeah. is on board with the official story right away? And yeah, I, listen, I Trump I, is a, Trump is a crime I, boss. Okay. But everybody was, was, if you're, if you're a conservative, you were justifying going to Iraq. Yes. You know, and yes. right now, if you're a conservative or if you're on the other side, if you're a liberal, then you're justifying wearing a mask because it's your side who's who's pushing it. So I and think I don't I just want to say real quick before 9-11, I, George Bush's uh, ratings were like bottom barrel. You remember because he just hijacked the uh, Florida election. You remember we had the Florida election. They came in and Al Gore was complicit in it. You remember the black caucus the hanging tried chats. to bring a vote, right? Tried to bring a vote in, tried to uh, investigate it. And Al Gore had the vote to flip it. And of course he didn't because we all know he was a part of that whole uh, Bush clan that goes from Reagan all the way to Obama. And they, they just did that. And it's just like, it's just ridiculous. And I don't, I mean, like Trump, I, I, it's just, it's a weird thing because we've been so conditioned to talk about all the presidents are bad. And I know that Trump is doing some awful things, but there are th- parts of the issue that maybe just for the theater that he's on the right side of the issue. So I, I do think it's a little different between Democrats and Republicans at this point. And I don't see like the polls are just, I'm, I'm going to end it here. The polls are BS. 
I saw, I've seen, I'm in LA, the, the, the den of hell, and I've seen one Biden, one Biden bumper sticker on all the, <laughs> all the, all the, all the hybrid cars out here. One Biden <laughs> sticker. That's it. Well, so I, it's not even close right now. I mean, again, if you were to even talk about the person Joe Biden was, right? I mean, Joe Biden was a guy that helped cover up the Pakistani role in 9-11. There's another smoking gun, red flag thing, more documentation from the dark document. What's that? Don't forget uh, Joe Biden's on-camera comments to uh, Mike and Eric Jackman regarding Able Danger. Yeah. I mean, again, he's... He's in there several times knowing that that was an operation. But Dylan, I'll ask you now, do you think that Joe Biden even remembers that as a person? Seriously, do you think <laughs> he remembers that 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 era of his life? I mean, it's not even a joke. Like, do you think he even remembers that? He struggles to read off a screen on the side. And again, they're telling you this guy is the front runner. It's the weirdest time. And, and you know, Dylan, since you're on here and you're not usually here, I also wanted to ask you, uh, for those that don't know, Dylan also did a uh, movie called Black and Blue on police brutality. What's what's your take on what's going on with this defund the police and just like upheaval around the country? I mean, you did a whole you spent a lot of time on that project. Did you foresee something like this or what's your take, brother? Well, honestly, by the time Black and Blue came out, I felt like um I don't want to say miss the boat because that makes it sound like an opportunist thing. But I feel like by the time Black and Blue came out, like it was the problem was kind of already over. Not that like police brutality and systemic racism was suddenly gone, but I just felt like I don't know. It felt like this the groundswell was kind of over and that it would kind of recede into the background like most things do. I definitely didn't anticipate it coming back a couple years later, but the force that it did. Um yeah, I don't know. I I thought that after the the groundswell of Ferguson and Baltimore and, you know, the officers that killed Freddie Gray, you know, they were charged. They were, you know, not, uh, well, no, they were indicted. They weren't charged. Sorry. But, um, I don't know. I, I definitely didn't expect it to come back with this kind of a, a rage and an urgency that it has. I mean, there's protests that are still going on today. I mean, you don't really hear about them anymore because, you know, there's, there's reasons to not talk about them now, but, um, they're not divisive enough. Well, they're, they're not divisive. And I think that, you know, it 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 benefited the media to cover the protests when uh, destruction was happening, and so now that the pro like most of the uh, instigators and troublemakers have kind of weeded themselves out, or they have been weeded out by outside forces. Uh, there's not really much to talk about in the news other than hey, people are still protesting police brutality and institutional racism. You know, there's there's not really a lot of talking points there to glean from that. So. Well, can 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 I ask a question about that? I guess to everybody that relates to this specific thing, but I think also kind of scales to to everything we're talking about. And back to back to Dylan's movie, um, you know, in 2014, when a lot of the social justice um, narrative, like I, most people, became aware of it, we had the Ferguson incident, and then we had the New York incident, Eric Garner. Right now, people heard about both, but all of the attention went to Ferguson. And there's a there's a great article you can find. I forget the name of the blog, but the 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 title of the article is Toxo the Toxoplasma of Rage, and it talks about how because there's all of this um, vagary around um, Ferguson, right? There's all of these opportunities for people to fight about it. So the media amplifies that story while giving the minimal amount of attention to Eric Gardner because if Bill O'Reilly and Charles Krauthammer go on television and they go, yeah, the NYPD was out of control. They shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. 
There's nothing to fight about. There's nothing to get people to return to MSNBC or Fox News or CNN uh, you know, every 15 minutes to get updates on what's happening with this. So it amplifies the story that creates division. And every time in this country we have one of these like really catalyzing types of events, even if it's finite, like even if it only goes on, like people's attention span is like six or seven days and then they're on to the next thing. The echo chamber walls get 20 feet higher. Right. Everybody exists in these echo chambers. And like, yep, you, you know, you have the Las Vegas shooting. Uh, that was a big one. I mean, Sandy Hook was a big one. Just as far as like, regardless of what the truth of those events is, every time the public has to like interact with these things, they just fortify their ideological battle stations each time. So this started, I think, with with 9-11. But COVID throughout March, April and May was like 9-11 every week just as far as like new stuff to know, new horrors, new things to scare you. And so now those echo chambers are like, it does, we've used words in this call like proof, uh, insurmountable evidence, smoking gun. And the question that I just want to put to the group is, do those things even matter anymore? Are we in a post-proof world, right? Because we, we exist in this online world, which we've watched over the last few years, um, all of these independent media creators have just ceded more control to Google and to YouTube and to Twitter and to Facebook. And we're kind of playing on their field now. Uh, and they're catering to, you know, the the legacy media more than they ever have. And I'm sure they're going to be doing that more in the near future. And they've also been given justification around like false COVID narrative. So we have to crack down and we have to censor these people more than ever. Um, but trying to play that game on their field, it's like we're talking about empiricism, right? Like what we can observe and what we know and what we can prove. And it's kind of like playing their game because all you have to do is say, look, here's an eyewitness who can who can tell you what happened. And they say, oh, all we have to do is character assassinate that person. Oh, you, you, you know, you have uh, proof or insurmountable evidence. All we need is two experts to line up on television to to, you know, reinforce to the public that our official story about this thing is right. You know, so it's kind of like empiricism is almost a weapon they can use against us as we try to use it to win people over. I think about like, uh, this is a little bit of a stretch of an example, but like poor Ben Shapiro goes on his show every day and he talks about how the left, they're all hypocrites. They're hypocrites. It's all hypocrisy. And he doesn't understand that hypocrisy is a weapon. It's a weapon that you use against people who don't want to be hypocrites. And I think it's kind of the same situation here where we're trying to be empiricists. We're trying to offer uh, evidence and they just say, well, we already control the narrative. So all we have to do is offer counter evidence and we win. It was like when you guys where, where were you guys? Uh, this was probably 10 years ago on Democracy Now. They put you next to uh, some guy. I forget who the guy was. But in the end, it's just a wash because all of these events are so massively complicated, too, that the public at the end, they just have to decide who to believe. They're never going to understand JFK, 9-11, COVID. The science of all of these things is just too complex. So I guess the question, and thank you for your patience, is, is it time to consider another strategy just besides the empirical approach? Because people don't really seem to care about it anymore. Yeah, that popular mechanics, right? I think that's what yes, you're... Yes, that was it. Yeah. That popular was mechanics, yeah. Classic. First of all, Dylan and Jason, I mean, honestly, you guys... You, I, I don't think it's almost like somebody telling a celebrity or a musician who wrote this song that changed our lives. Like, hey, you wrote this song that like changed our lives, and you're like, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Like, you guys, what that loose change really like? It read 
uphilled a huge generation of people. I mean, including myself. I mean, uh, I'm, uh, Brett talked about his experience. I mean, my experience. It, it's awesome to have you guys together again. And um, and and without a doubt, I think what Brett's talking about. There's there's a little bit of naiveness of the fact that people can just look at evidence and then be like, okay, that makes sense. I've been lied to, and then they're on your team. I think a lot of people. Honestly, like they just look for evidence to back the opinion that they already have, you know, and, and I think for the most part, we think like, oh, we give them evidence, we give them evidence like this is going to change your mind. But there's some people like Democrats, liberals are going to wear a mask regardless, just because they want to be anti-Trump, regardless if there's all the science as otherwise, you know, so I think there's not to say that it's not worth still giving evidence because there every Every time, you know, new information comes out, like you're chipping away at their, you know, their, their perception of the world. Right. Yeah. And, and you never know which podcast, which piece of evidence becomes that that piece of evidence that takes them over to the edge where they're like, OK, now there's just too much evidence that I, I can't keep, you know, being in denial that there's something more to this. So, I, you know, I, I, I see both ends where it's like. In a way, like there's going to be people that you just aren't going to get through to them because honestly, I don't think it's about evidence. I think they picked a team not because they chose that team based on evidence, but they have that perspective because they're just backing their team, their tribal. But I also think that there's there's going to be people that seem like you can't get th through to them, but maybe they've run into this show and then they run into another documentary, then another documentary, then yep. another show. And little by little, you're chipping away and then eventually maybe they end up uh, actually changing their mind. So, um, you know, Monica brought it up where like, she didn't want to believe it at first. I think that's a, that was a huge part of it. I, I think the same way people forget like vaccines now has become that issue where like you talk about it and people would get so emotional and so defensive. Like nine 11 was that thing. Like you couldn't talk about nine 11 in a room full of people without somebody getting defensive and angry. And I think a little bit of it was just, it, it was the hardest thing to believe that it could have been prevented and it wasn't like it was it was so beyond th their imagination that anybody could could let such horror and such damage to lives in in this country just happen and uh and i think that's that was a big part of the why so many people you know were denying or, or in denial that it could have happened that way i don't think people even have to come across these types of shows the media is doing it themselves they're they're gaslighting so bad right now. And their narrative of COVID and all the political stuff going on in the States is falling apart at the seams. I mean, I think people are waking up en masse right now. And I, I think it's, it's turning the corner. They can't, it's not sustainable. The lies, I know that there's a, there's, you can look at every situation from both sides and come up with the, the truth or what you think is facts. But the, the lies that they're doing are just not sustainable, I don't think. I, I want to say, I think that one of the ways you make it more digestible for people is, you know, what Dylan's really good at is, you know, creating a narrative and not just showing evidence, but being able to take people along and not only get them to understand what's going on, but keep them entertained. The problem is that film used to be a very good way to do that. And in the era of loose change, it was almost encouraged to go viral where you had two competing forces at the time, Google video versus YouTube and YouTube only had clips where Google video, you could watch the whole thing. People had put it into other languages. It was much more easily accessible. So they wanted to keep it on the platform. Now during COVID, arguably the two most uh, viral videos are Plandemic one and two. You could say Shadowgate also kind of got in there, but they're censored within a week. 
So you might have that water cooler chatter on those three films that present their case or whatever and their evidence and it's very good and it's well put together, but it doesn't get to marinate through the entire globe to the point that Loose Change did where they were playing the second edition on the History Channel on the fifth anniversary in Australia and other nations. You know what I mean? So Dylan, how do you feel about that? Do you think that, you know, if something, I mean, we're we're in COVID-1984 now, but something like a large-scale terrorist attack that wasn't what it was could be exposed in a film like Loose Change today? Or do you think it would have its week-long run and then kind of be dismissed? I mean, it's a good question because now you have Seven coming out, and will that be its fate? Will will they try to censor this thing if it gains too much juice? Well, I think that was one of the fears, and that's partially why it was a blessing that 1091 reached out to us because I believe Richard and Architects and Engineers' original plan was to just basically put it on YouTube. Um, which is great for accessibility to a certain degree. But I mean, Vermis, as you know, like I had a private upload of Loose Change Second Edition HD on my YouTube account, like private, un- like completely private to myself, no views, no interactions. And I got an email telling me that it had been removed from my channel, which is weird because the actual Loose Change Second Edition HD on Corey's YouTube is still up. Mm-hmm. So. I, my private upload of the movie randomly got nuked by YouTube. And that was kind of one of those things going into seven where I was like, you guys might want to maybe consider an alternative venue just in case, you know, YouTube nukes it. And again, you have BitChute, you have avenues like that. But I think the benefit of 1091 Media is that it's hopefully going to go through um, broadcast networks, uh, you know, standard digital streaming, obviously, but they have educational outreach. They have a lot more avenues to get the film out there. And they also are international too. So you, they have that going for it. Um, to loop back to the uh, origin of your question, I don't, I mean, the the playing field now is just so different than it was 15 years ago. I mean, Loose Change really was, I mean, I'm not like trying to pat myself on the back here, but I mean, from my, you know, probably biased understanding of it, uh, it was definitely kind of a, a one of a kind thing at the time where, you know, again, like when someone came to me and said, oh, you know, when we were wrapping up second edition um, and, you know, the, the, guy that was running a room in my mom's house he's like oh you know google's google's putting out this new video sharing site called google video and you can upload movies and you should put the new loose change on there and i literally told him i don't think anyone's ready to watch a film on the internet and now that's literally everything that's like that's what everybody does now is watch movies on the internet so i was very wrong about that um but i don't know i just i think that the the climate both technologically and you know, societally, if that's even a word, I just, I, the world is just so different now than it was 15 years ago. And I don't think, I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't think it would. I think that there's just too much out there and there's too many voices and there's too many opinions. And there's too many sides to it um, where everything just kind of gets lost in the, in the chatter the way it didn't 15 years ago when things were just getting started. Well, pandemic went viral and so did Shadowgate. The problem, if you guys haven't talked to Ben Swan, Get on his platform, the ISE.media. He he uh, hosted the Plandemic documentary, the full documentary when it came out recently. So did London Real TV. They they hosted it. So talk to them. They have their own platforms. You can put it on there where you can kind of bypass some censorship. But uh, it does piss me off the fact that the twenty like minute Plandemic documentary that was on YouTube and Facebook and being shared everywhere went viral. Then when he released the whole documentary because it wasn't on those platforms. I don't know nearly as many people that watched it. Like it, it sucks that people will not go out of their way just to type in a different URL 
to go watch something that could change their life or change their perspective or something that's really important it could connect some dots um uh, you know that that part really kind of bothers me well, well, I think that's the difference, right? Because they're so good and so quick that they only give it a one to two week cycle max. I mean, two weeks at this point is a huge cycle for any specific um, piece of information to get any kind of push. If it's more than two weeks, it's huge in this new cycle. And 9-11 was something we heard and saw every day of our lives five to ten times a day for almost a decade after. Easily in the fifth year, you were still there wasn't a way that you could turn on any type of mainstream entertainment and it not be integrated somehow. So that way, in that, in that sense, it was very different. And again, this was when technologies were competing to be that mainstream platform that everybody was clicking on. Remember, Google bought YouTube for eight billion dollars. <laughs> you know, they swallowed them up and then got rid of Google Video. So I, I, I don't want to discourage people because I still think it's an amazing medium. And for those that do go out of their way to watch something like that and let it go viral and see it on the side. And, you know, you look at Loose Change, um, you know, at the time, maybe one of a kind, but there were successors to that that definitely went viral. The Zeitgeist films were able to gain some of that momentum and really go viral and be talked about. I, I Which just, is funny because Zeitgeist, Zeitgeist used large pieces of loose change, and then people came to me and they were like, "Oh, you, have you seen Zeitgeist?" And I'm like, "Yeah, there's there's parts of my movie the in there." Sorry, Peter Joseph back in the day. That's a long time ago, man. God, we're old. Yep. We're old men. But but Speak the, point, the point being is, we've got to figure out how to utilize what's out there now, right? Um, I'll be honest. Like as much as I hate TikTok or Instagram and all this other stuff, that's the way to do it. Like I saw this one kid, I didn't agree with everything he was putting out, but he was like this viral influencer kid that was putting up up stuff about high-level child abuse, et cetera, through TikTok and trying to be inventive that way. And you can almost also see the evolution of documentary films and how long people were paying attention. You know, Loose Change Second Edition, uh, 80 Minutes, probably the most popular one. As much as I love the final cut, you know, that that was a little over two hours long for people. The other big viral sensation later on, that was 45 minutes, that was Coney, that was straight propaganda. That shows you how effective that medium can be. But now fast forward to here and you talk about Plandemic 1, you're down to 20, 22 minutes. You know, and it's able to go viral, but at the same time it goes viral, they're just as quick in censoring it. I hate to be a Debbie Downer here, guys, because I'd love to find a solution to that. But when you're the number one and number two search engine in the world, when you're Google and then YouTube and your parent company is Alphabet and you're doing busy business with the NSA and NASA constantly, it's just a whole new playing field. And the other thing is most people are absorbing it through the little magic box. So they've already got an attention span of what? What are you going to get them for? Six fucking minutes? Maybe? Mm -hmm. I, I see my analytics. If I got nine and a half minutes, that's big time. You know what I'm saying, guys? Look so, at James Corbett's video, the five-minute 9-11 video. I mean, that went viral. That was one of his most famous videos ever. It was only five minutes, you know? It's, and, and I think that, obviously, that was a big part of it because people could just share it. It didn't take up a, a lot of your time. Even the pandemic documentary, the, the new one, I think it's like a little over an hour. It, it isn't that long. And I think that's a big part of it, too. It's like he probably understood, I need to force feed this information quickly because you'll just tune out once you start getting... And I see it. I mean, I love documentaries. Uh, and, and even I find myself like if it doesn't 
get my interest immediately. I'll look at my phone. I'll, I'll start thinking about other things I could be watching. You know, it's like it, it's and a lot of it, it's because of big tech. I mean, big tech just force, you know, constantly giving you that sort serotonin dump. So you're so used to like quick satisfaction that it's like the second you have to wait for something, you're like, no, I'll, I'll go do something else. Do people feel like podcasting is like comparatively untouched as far as like what's what's happening with YouTube and censorship? Like, I, I just feel like people who uh, are listening to podcasts, they're already making a different kind of commitment. Like nobody's going, no one's rifling through podcasts two minutes at a time. It's just a different kind of media consumption exercise, right? But yeah, that happens on YouTube because there's that devilish side column there if you're on a computer just saying well look at these other things you could watch but that doesn't that doesn't happen with podcasts and we're in people's ears once a week multiple times a week some of us some of us every day and we're building you know no like and trust we're building relationships with these people um with very few of the interferences that you know we encounter through you know ig uh tv or 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 youtube so I'm I'm just wondering if people feel like they're utilizing that property and uh, properly, excuse me, and it's um, a superior as far as like being able to build relationships and maintain attention. That's a superior platform. Part of it is that it's audio only, really, and people can do other things: driving, doing the dishes, doing their shit around the house while that's they're listening. What I was say. Yeah, it also and, and, activates and video, different part video, of your mind. Yeah. I mean, audio only activates a different part of your mind. You have to use your imagination where if you're on video, it's, it's be, everything's being fed to you. Uh, I'm an audio only. I prefer audio only for, for that reason. It does force your brain to do things that watching video, it's just kind of given to you. I think podcast listeners listen a little bit more intently and much longer. And like Jason said, you just look at the video analytics versus like your hardcore listeners to the podcast. The, the hardcore people listen to the podcast. And the people who stop by the video, it's not, there's some hardcore, but you look at the analytics, what they listen for 10 to 20 minutes, and that's hardcore listeners. So, yeah, audio is supreme, in my opinion. Well, and, you know, you look at, like, Joe Rogan's podcast where, you know, obviously he has the long-form uploads, obviously, but on YouTube, the popular Joe Rogan clips are always the small segments from the podcast, and then from there you're encouraged to go and find the entire podcast to listen. I mean, it's happened with a couple things where I saw, like, a three-minute clip <clears throat> with like James Cameron or something. I was like, wow, I didn't know Joe Rogan had James Cameron on. I want to listen to the whole episode now. But I mean, it, it goes back to what several of you were saying, which is basically podcasts are passive and video consumption is active. You know, podcasts, you put them on for a drive, you do your chores, whatever, and it just kind of goes in your ear and you can kind of let it rattle around in your brain. Whereas a video on Facebook or YouTube, I mean, it may be, you may not be watching it the whole time, but it still has to play and you still have to like devote a certain amount of your attention to it. Whereas podcasts, you know, you just put them on and you can do whatever else you want to do. So that's what I got. And by the way, Rogan went to Spotify today. He's actually I saw. right now with uh, Dr Duncan Trussell. Mm. I saw that. The, the Exodus is here. And listen, that's at least competition. And I like the video. I'll tell you what. I, I just rode across the country, right? I was just over in Iowa. I got back uh, on Friday. I had actually the video version. I know I shouldn't have. Uh, the video version of his podcast playing while I was driving through middle America. But sometimes I like to catch uh, a, a facial feature. In fact, as much as the audio stuff for some people, I'm in front of four monitors, guys. While I'm sitting here, you know, running this thing and in between and researching my stuff, one of my monitors can be Joe Rogan's podcast. And every once in a while, I want to see that facial reaction. So I'm hoping that Spotify, for instance, allows more of people 
to do those kind of video long form or even short form podcasts because you know we talk about podcasts i guess everybody calls this stuff podcasting but if you're on my channel i do plenty of videos that are like 10 to 15 minutes just short if i were to weave those into a podcast for a day you know i guess some of them would be over two hours depending if i'm doing interviews or whatever but even if i did you know seven of them at 10 minutes it's still over an hour and i think that i i get great analytics on those sucks i'm demonetized but on a you know a 10 or 11 minute video i'm still pulling seven or eight minutes so i think there is something to to be said about the short form and by the way that's the reason i do it live and i do it that style is because it goes out right away if i mess up i just move on and apologize I don't sit there and worry too much about uh, editing. And I have the entire internet at, at the tip of my finger. If I start talking about a document, I have the document. If I want to play Andrew Cuomo talking about SWAT teams, I play Andrew Cuomo talking about SWAT teams. We have an incredible opportunity to share information. And hopefully, just like you know, back in our day 15 years ago, we utilized Google versus YouTube when they were competitors. Maybe we can leverage Spotify which is owned by Microsoft against <laughs> against YouTube in some sense by making an exodus there. So I'm rooting for Rogan, man. I'm hoping that he's going to go more hardcore and they're going to allow more free speech there. And it's not going to be some kind of fucking cancel culture. Maybe, maybe my dreams are too high, but that's how you get a Richard Gage and other architects and engineers uh, for 9-11 on a platform that people see it again. They come across it again in the algorithm. Because they used to come across that stuff, and well, they maybe, don't. yeah, maybe uh, Joe Rogan will bring the rest of us over to Spotify too, and there'll be you know one place that doesn't censor people uh, that we can all go to. I mean, I've been waiting for that for four years since uh, YouTube began uh, censoring people. So uh, is that uh, is that where we're going to end up? Because uh, you know, YouTube said we're gonna we're gonna uh, change the algorithms. Nine eleven is not going to be. Uh, on our 9-11 um, Truth uh, is not going to be on our platform anymore. We've been waiting to get canceled any minute. We have 50,000 or 60,000 subscribers over here, over there. I just thought it was a point worth making because like I, I've been doing what I do for about 11 years using both YouTube and, uh, you know, an RSS feed for a podcast. I've watched both, you know, 10 years ago were the Wild West. You could do whatever you wanted. And, uh, you know, YouTube is walking on eggshells today just to keep your channel. I've almost lost my channel several times. I don't even use it anymore. Yeah. Podcasting has remained steady. Like, uh -huh. I've, I've never been messed with. And that was uh, the other part of my question. That I was just curious if anyone wanted to weigh in who used both YouTube and uh, a podcast feed. Has your podcast ever been screwed with uh, along the terms of uh, in terms of censorship at any point? One time, and I think uh, the Crime America guys, same same guests, right? Dell Big Tree. Uh, when I had Dell on this uh, this last time, iTunes wouldn't play it for a while, and then I was getting some tech bullshit about like, oh, this is why it's not working. I'm like, well, that's funny because I know a couple other people who had them on who also had a similar issue. Lipson wouldn't even let me publish an episode called COVID Cures. Lipson did that to you. That's who I they use. Did. They didn't. They didn't outright oh, say anything. Huh? No, it was Lipson. Oh. They didn't outright say anything, and it might have still. No, it it just wouldn't send. Like you know how when you publish an episode on Lipson, you can go and see its status, and it'll say pending, and then it'll say released. So I tried it like eight times with the title "COVID Cures," and it would just sit on pending for twenty minutes. I couldn't get it to release. 
And then finally, after like two hours, I was like, well, what the fuck? So I tried changing the cures to a Q and then redid it and it published within five minutes. I'm surprised it let you with a Q. <laughs> yeah, they don't like Q's. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did have to hack it too. I did a series called This is a Test. It was like four or five parts about the whole COVID thing and alternative theories about, about it. And I think I had to use a zero for the O and a lowercase L for the I and that seemed to work. Uh, but I was I was very hesitant to even put the word in the show notes because I mean that's that's how they're flagging people. I've seen it uh, in my stuff on Instagram and on Facebook. If you use the word, it will say you need help. You need help from the CDC and the WHO with what you're trying to do because you might not have the best information. So let us let us help you. Well, to be fair, I probably don't, but I put it out there anyways. Right. I like to have fun, right? <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, one I, thing I oh, go ahead. I wanted go ahead. to uh, mention: we were earlier we were talking about similarities between nine uh, eleven. You know that obviously is what, where this discussion started, and COVID. And on the surface, it might not really look like there's a ton of similarities. You're talking about a virus versus a you know a terrorist attack, but I think it's important for people maybe that are new to this that are just you know maybe coming in because of COVID. And not knowing all the details of 9/11, there there is one major similarity between the two of them, and that is that both of them had drills running, simulating the events that were going to happen in almost identical fashions. And I think that that's interesting for people to remember because um, you know on the the days leading up to 9/11 and 9/11 itself, there were upwards of 40 drills that were happening. Some of them were simulating planes flying into buildings and, and other planes being hijacked, which is, you know, it's a mathematical impossibility that you would be running these drills in the same time that they were actually happening. It's just not possible. But now we have the COVID situation and event 201, which in October of 19th of 2019 simulated almost exactly an outbreak of the coronavirus. And that's what we wound up getting. So, you know, if people want to try and draw some parallels here, there's monkey business going on here for sure. We obviously the media being involved in and the lies and, be, you know, th that's constant as well. But um, but but remember the drills and look into the drills, because because I'll tell you what, you can't you can you can only get away with that maybe once where you have a drill that simulates something. But if you go back and look at you know, Oklahoma City and World Trade Center and what about the seven 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 bombing and Madrid bombing and all these things over and over again, you start having these drills that should send off alarm bills. And and the same thing is currently happening with the Corona situation. There was a drill that people have been talking about. Um, I just want well, to make, make sure that people connect that to 9-11 as well, because there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, well, but Snope said that they said it wasn't connected. Oh, well, then. OK, well, never mind then. But you know what was interesting about that is that they were just so brazen about it that they did put it. I mean, I know it's part of the new pandemic documentary, but they put it into uh, video format and they said, you know, this coronavirus, a novel coronavirus using a lot of the same terminology. This one comes from South America and a pig. But when you look at it, you've got the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation there. It's Johns Hopkins University. It's the United Nations. It's NBC Universal. It's the World Bank. It's the IMF. It's all these same people, the CDC in China and the United States that were big players 
in this same thing. And right away within the first, the countermeasures, the first part of this five-part series, they talk about censoring the internet and they follow it up later on. And we saw that happen almost immediately. Uh, the trigger started to get pulled really early on in April. And again, that has been tightening and tightening. At first, it was just those wacky conspiracy theorists or doctors that dare said that they could cure it. Then it got to the point where doctors were talking about treatments or even talking about ventilators and they were getting taken off. And then nurses were taken, taken off for hidden video footage. Never in America's history have we ever censored on a platform raw hidden video footage of crimes, period. They've always been celebrated before this and they did it lockstep. So I, I think you're right. There are a ton of those parallels, especially when you look at 9-11 and you look at the uh, hijackings that were going on outside of the country that morning through these drills. I mean, you almost have to wonder if it has that revelation of the method element where they really want you to feel to take responsibility for it because they're telling you they're doing it. They're telling you who's doing it. And and you really most people are acquiescing. It makes you feel almost like a, a kind of black magic form of consent. For sure. So that's a really good point. And that 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 sounds crazy to people. The I first always time thought you hear that was a crazy like thing. But event 201 talking about 10 years of economic impact, societal impact. When I first saw that event 201, and I, I, I personally believe that's why I got taken off the terrestrial radio. I was on for eight and a half years. I talked about everything. But when I started talking about that, I even when I started talking about it on February 8th, I, I thought that was too much. I thought it was going too far to say 10 years of economic damage, 10 years of societal impact. I didn't realize they were planning this revolution of the world, a kind of cultural revolution like from the 60s or World War One or even the Civil War. Like it's almost like every 50 years, there's this major transformation of society. And uh, when it's kind of like we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we ate from the tree. And now we're all the majority of people going around along with this and they could, they could not accept it, but they accept it. And that same thing happened after nine 11, like with the Seymour Hersh stuff, there were so many people, so many Democrats who came out after nine 11 and said, Oh, these Republicans blew up the world trade center. And then as soon as Obama took office and did not reveal it, all of a sudden the Democrats just can't remember it. <laughs> you know, they just go along with it. I think that's a big difference between COVID and 9-11. 9-11 was kind of like more of a unification type event. And I think COVID is the exact opposite of that. COVID is keep picking sides until there's only one he is left. And then we can really steamroll the place. No, I think I think the, they, they have the same strategies. It's just the COVID is, is using guilt more and shame more than, uh, than brute force with 9-11 and the security state. And I feel no, like we've I gotten think a COVID bit stupider. Is, I think COVID is very specifically to divide the public. And I think the riots are to further escalate that. Whereas I think 9-11 was more to convince you guys to go jump on board with going and fucking up the rest of the world and not causing too much trouble. Now it's more like, okay, we've dealt with them. We can kind of deal with them. Now you guys are kind of a problem. So we're just going to turn you on each other for race and mass and vaccines and man versus woman and let's not get to rich versus poor because that might upset the apple cart but and i think also, that's the main difference and also by weakening internally the u.s they can allow the sunset of the u.s and the 
and the rise of China, whereas like with World War One to World War Two, it was the sunset of the UK and the rise of the US. I feel like these things are pretty well orchestrated from the top. 9-11 was a destabilizing operation for the Middle East. And the coronavirus situation is a destabilizing operation for the United States. And it's really Yuri Bizmenov, right? Like if people like Russia conspiracies, uh, the G. Edward Griffin interview with Yuri Bizmenov, the KGB director, yes. where he talked about subversion. He said, in the KB KGB, we're not spying. We spend all our money on subversion campaigns and how, you know, the, the process of demoralizing and dividing the public takes a long time. You're talking about an investment of decades. But if, uh, you know, the, the average American is so enamored with the, the possibility of a Russia conspiracy, I encourage them to check that one out because it really looks like it's happening in this country. Well, it's funny because on my shows, some things that get brought up over and over again, we talk about like the coups in Central America, you know, Guatemala, we talk about the Iran coup in, in the early 50s, all this stuff. And, I, and I, even when I'm talking about it, I'm like, wow, man, like imagine the strategy, the how detailed it has to be to get a country to just fall apart like that and turn on each other and ha you know have these revolutions. And now I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. They're do like they're doing the same shit here, the same strategies in the U.S. I'm like, this is how you divide and conquer. This is how you. And when, you, yeah. And when you look back, it, it always like when you read that history or you check out what happened in other countries. Like, well, you know, the people were hungry and they started to rise up, and then they took over the land and they killed the guy. And it's like, then you look back even at the Russian Revolution and you see that that other countries put inserted agents provocateur to rile certain people up, then swap out the revolution halfway through, like the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, even the American Revolution. And now I see not only are those parallels like, oh, this is how a country collapses, but wow, this is how a country has controlled demolition. This is how a country is subverted. This is how a country, they blame the unrest. They act like it's a grassroots thing, but maybe it never is. Monica, you're going to like, I've got a new book coming out with Jeff Berwick in a couple of weeks called The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. So Perfect. I did not that. coin that. I think I got it from you. But yeah, yeah it's it is. It's going it to be, I mean, it, great name. We take no pleasure in, in that analysis of it because right. I, we don't like the idea that it looks like the United States has been set up to be brought down. But unfortunately, if you follow the evidence, it sort of I mean, it leads to that direction. It's, well, it's this, sad. It, scary. It's scary. Yeah, it's 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 terrifying that there are people that you know with that they could put all of their energy into making this world a better place, but they know, choose to the, put it into destroying things, destroying, that's why things, the, starting color revolutions. The these black magic motherfuckers stuff like starts. George Soros that are that are take all their wealth and do the most despicable things with it. And I'm not just trying to say the left is the only one doing that, but but you know it what a waste we could have such a better world if we had that it's so energy sinister bringing it feels like it's sinister in nature it's so it's can't even be serving their interests what are they not human they don't have kids they don't have a future they're gonna die you know it makes you wonder what they're really up to and i i i mean i i'm not one of the, like the occult people or the black magic stuff but just like over the past couple of days I'm like this doesn't make any sense like what is your purpose here and and it could just yeah granted it's to collapse us but i don't understand why well if we all agree that we live in a deeply demoralized and divided country and that this has been done by design right i think we're we're all on 
that page to some degree. It it brings us back to the the question about are we post empiricism? Are we post proof? Like as far as outreach and persuasion is concerned, what's the strategy if you look at a truth movement that in a lot of ways has spun its wheels for 20 years, right? So yeah. what are we selling? Why wake up? Why wake up? Right? I'll tell you what, why. There's, because, you know, because the thing is, when we're, when we're trying to get people on board on the 9-11 thing, and anytime it has to do with geopolitics, and I think you know that's always been a topic I've been super fascinated with, but it was hard to get people also fascinated with it, right? Because it was like, hey, I get to go to work. I get to you know, bring my kids to soccer practice. I get to do all my everyday life. And even if we're in Afghanistan, even if we're in Iraq, doesn't like I don't feel like I'm in a war, right? I feel fucking normal. Like, so who cares if we invade another country? I, my life doesn't change. But this topic, the COVID topic, it's affecting people. You can't right. avoid it. Like, it's affecting you know, your kids, your schools, your, I mean, literally everything. I mean, the way our societies are built and designed. And so I, I think it, this topic more than just about almost anything might be the, like they overplay their, their hand where it might be the thing that wakes a, the more people up than just about any event. Because I think every event, OKC, whatever it may be, there's uh, people who live through that, question it, and it becomes their red pill where like, this is the thing that woke me up. But I think this one more than ever has the potential to wake up more people because you can't avoid it. Like well, it, that's what I'm saying. It's the yeah. golden. That's why I started with saying it was the golden age of opportunity, even for bringing people into the fold of 9/11, right? Because the adventure begins. I have questions, right? I don't know. I mean, loose change was a starting point for me, but 9/11 synchronicity. I was into coast to coast radio for a while. I was just consuming it all. Once I realized that what I had been fed the first 20 something years of my life was bullshit, I just wanted every alternative. And then eventually I had to try and apply some critical thinking and start parsing it and start sorting it and start discarding some of it. But I just wanted to, you know, go up and go in and scoop everything that I could that wasn't coming out of the television or that I didn't learn in K through 12 or college. So, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, Ricky golden age of opportunity right now because people are literally being shaken awake i think the answer but might what do, what do you sorry monica what, yeah, what how do you sell it what is the benefit that you sell of doing it which i think is like a super important consideration sorry go ahead i just think that the answer might lie in what they absolutely i'm in la now so i see that we absolutely will not allow bars and churches and even gyms to some extent, but like the fact that they will not allow unmonitored free form congregation and association means to me they realize how dangerous it is for people to just relax and be honest with each other and express their emotions that that is where the power is. And I feel like if there's a way to, uh, I mean, I think that's what the Achilles heel is, is just that you know, but the problem is they've got it all funneled through the virtual world now where you know it's being censored or you feel that it's being censored. Anyway, that's I just feel like that is the the linchpin and I can't really figure out how we can pull it. Is there a pill to, to set us back to like unawake? Yeah, heroin. <laughs> or, I, I mean, that's a shot, though. Just give it up. Hey, Dylan, you got a boot scoot boogie? I saw your uh, message in there. I do have to scoot. I got some. Uh, I have to actually work on seven and something else for uh, architects and engineers. Uh, and I see that the show is apparently over soon anyway. So thank you, everybody, for having me. I'm going to scoot 
and uh yeah yeah and keep us all updated on uh when the film releases you know we'll all share it help promote it all that stuff and and definitely look into other platforms it doesn't hurt to to get on ISE or yeah ISE.media with uh, Ben Swan and another uh, player because yeah. you never know the, the the censorship you might run into. That's true, but I mean, like, thankfully, 1091 they kind of specialize in, and I hate to say this, conspiracy documentaries. So uh, they seem pretty because I we had discussed this with them pretty early on. We're like, hey, like, what do you want to? What are your thoughts on possible censorship of this, etc.? And they're like, oh, we're not too worried about it. I mean, they they deal in this kind of subject matter all the time, and again. It features a professor of engineering from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. It features three other engineers. It's narrated by Ed Asner. I mean, you know, it should hopefully have a little bit more of an in than uh, I guess some other docs might, but um, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be appearing over the anniversary with uh, Kelly David of Architects and Engineers, and she also helped produce the documentary. I'll be uh, appearing right before Lee Ray Halsey himself as well. Um, so yeah, we should hopefully at that time uh, be able to announce a release date and Start getting this thing out there. See how it goes. Awesome. Well, well, thanks, Dylan. Thanks for being with us, and we'll, I'm sure we'll all keep in touch. Cool. Sounds good. Enjoy the rest of the show, guys. Thanks, God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> you you don't use enough of those, Mike. You can, ah, yeah. <laughs> too many people in the show. I can't use them all. <laughs> But uh, I, I love the fact that we're, you know we did a show that kind of focused a little bit on 9/11 because we have been got so caught up in this COVID thing that we forget like similar situations have happened and they're equally as important really because it, it you know like like Charlie said there's so many similarities in regards to the the war games and and how they it all happens and they pretend like oh we could have never prepared for this we could have never guessed this happens and come to find out like if you watch event 201 and and the beginning of pandemic when they show parts of it it will blow your fucking mind how identical it is to what's going on right now like when they talk about there's going to be conspiracy theories there's going to be riots there's going to be you know literally they're describing right now so and then when people are like oh we couldn't have prepared for it it's like right that's what they told you before 9-11 even though bush had a document that said al-qaeda you know gonna fly planes into uh, the towers and all that stuff so yeah i mean learning history is just incredibly important and when you you know it, it's it's easy to get caught up in current events and and just lose interest in kind of you know i guess refreshing your memory with stuff that's happened in the past but i think it's important but back to brett's question is this time like we're not talking about something that happened in the past or some conspiracy that affected a small amount of people like we've been living in this conspiracy for what six months now and it's affecting people's lives their kids going to school or their health i mean everything the economy so i think that's why it's important to to try and keep talking to people and why it's important that people start waking up to all this yeah, well, it's funny because I'm sure you guys probably felt the same way. Like, you wonder, like, if I was alive during a JFK assassination, would I believe the mainstream narrative or would I be woke enough to 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 question it? Same thing. Like when nine eleven happened, I was really young. It wasn't until like uh, Jason Burmis and, and Dylan really came out with that documentary that really made me question it. But I I, I want I, I want to believe that. Like, okay, if I was being lied to to that extent, I would question things. And like, you know, like you said it we're living through it right now and and we're seeing past the bullshit and um we you know i i think i i think now because it's getting so deep rooted in our personal lives it's a great uh, it's easy to be super depressing and be like oh my god look at like in a way it's easy to be depressing because they it is getting so involved in our personal lives 
but it's also the reason why I, I think more people than maybe any other issue, more people are getting upset and, and getting and fighting back because it's and, like, no, 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 you're not affecting my kids. No, you're not getting in my personal life. And don't get me wrong. Part of me wants to just disengage from the whole thing, from everything, the, the, the culture, the technology, just everything. Just it That's does. What I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can all build fairly sizable followings, like pursuing, you know, the truth of this thing. But if, if a big part of it is uh, solutions, like one of the things I always try to ask myself, I forget to ask myself this too much and I get caught up in the drama of all of this is like, how do I demonstrate that I have more autonomy and more happiness because of what I know, right? Because that's what people want. I, I, I mean, deep down, that's what people, I feel like I don't, I don't want to should at people, but I feel like that's what people should want. And I feel like there's, there's a, a lot of people on the viewing side who almost regard this as like a form of pornography, right? Just, that's a huge problem or an addiction. There's yeah. like a giant addiction to the news cycle. And that's what I like to say to people is that just watch because you might know that the world ended like three weeks before I do, but I'm prepared for the world to end. So make sure you're factoring that into your information gathering, because if you're not adjusting your life on the back end, when you're not staring at your screen and scrolling through articles or checking your sources to make sure, you know, you've got that next hot scoop. You know, what are you going to do if power goes out tomorrow or if the internet goes out tomorrow or what, what, what are you doing in the meantime, other than spreading links and stuff to actually change the world? And I think that's the other thing to do when you're not podcasting or researching for the podcast is to make sure you're taking your kids out and doing some painting or some fishing or some hunting or some hiking or some gardening or some preserving or some. I mean, not watching TV, that's, that's the main thing. Like I've gotten this video shit almost completely out of my life. I'm down to about an hour a week. I'll watch a couple, maybe an episode of Alone with my girlfriend once a week, or I, I have this thing with The Office that I just sort of keep going through it because it seems wholesome and there doesn't seem to be any agenda to it. And I like it. So those are like the only two things that I really watch video. I watch a little bit of Meat Eater sometimes too. But, and I've kind of replaced all that video in my life with audiobooks or books. And like Mike was saying before, your brain just starts working on a whole different level when you get that fucking video out of your life and you just start listening and listening and your imagination is working. And it's just, it's worth a shot. I think it's worth a shot to at least balance that out with making sure you know what's going on with COVID and you're up to, up to speed on the news cycle. Make sure you're up to speed on what's you know, good for you. Well, that, that's a really important part of, of all this. It's like we can't get so just distract or, or fighting against people not letting us enjoy life can consume so much of your life that you don't have any time to enjoy life. Like, don't forget to enjoy life. Like, we're all upset because it's like you're getting in the way of us being able to be free and do. Well, guess what? Like, you still have some some freedoms and, and experience that and, and spend time with your kids. Don't, you know, don't just spend time yelling about how my kids have to wear a mask, but take them outside and, and do things with them and, and, and whatnot. You know, I mean, we're, we're all fighting for these freedoms and, and these rights that are obviously uh, we're, we're losing them, but it, it's also important to also enjoy them, you know, enjoy, don't get so deep rooted in these issues that it, it can completely consumes your life. 
Yeah, and I didn't mean to sound. I I don't want to come across as naive in asking that question. How do we show people that we're freer and happier? Because you know you're right. I mean, there is a total war on freedom right now. A war on all fronts: economic, health, freedom, uh, social freedoms, uh, freedom. I I mean, with COVID, it it spread into areas that some of us, even some of us, probably never imagined <laughs> that it would. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that there's a, there's a balance that needs to be achieved between, like, um, being vigilant in our defense, but also doing exactly what you're saying, Ricky, which is remembering to live, like, a happy and fulfilled life and showing people that you have one. And part of the reason why you have it is because you're educating yourself uh, partially for the purpose of defending yourself against this all-out assault on, you know, every aspect of our freedom. That's the big question. Absolutely. Well, well. Thanks everybody for being with me. I really, really appreciate it. If anybody has any uh, anything they want to plug, anything you want to tell the listeners, I know sometimes the listeners are like, "How come you don't tell people whose voice is who and whatnot?" I'm like, we. I think we attempted that like one of the first episodes, but it's so time consuming. You know, it's just like, "Hey, my name is. Uh, I'm from the." And then you know, it's an hour later. But um, but anybody have anything to unplug or let people know where they can connect with you if they uh, want to hear more of you. I think everyone should get chickens. Yeah, I agree. I'm getting a few. <laughs> Nobody wants a plug. We have a Nah, period. I mean, Jason Burmis, the Info Warrior, know him. Ricky, Ripple yeah. Effect Podcast, Charlie, Macroaggressions, Brett, School Sucks, America. And we have Monica down there from the Propaganda Report Podcast. So, And I'm Mike, OBDM Podcast. Thanks, so. Mike. Perfect. Thanks, everybody. Wait, thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Later on. Bye. See you, guys. Bye. Take care.